Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. We will continue today in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But I think it might be good if we would just step back a couple of paces and remind ourselves exactly where we are. And what I mean by that is, in this section of God's Word, how did this come about? Paul is writing, of course, to the church at Corinth. Well, why is he writing to Corinth? Why is there a church in Corinth? Corinth was a major city in southern Greece. It was exceedingly religious in an idolatrous way, but it was also very licentious. And Paul came there on his second missionary journey. He had left Macedonia in the north, and he had come to the south, down to Athens first, and preached in Athens. It's recorded for us in the book of Acts. He preached on Mars Hill, He preached a a wonderful sermon that is recorded, at least in summary, and is well worth studying. However, the interesting thing about Athens is there were very few results. The Bible tells us that there were two or three people that seemed to accept Paul's message, but apparently not enough for Paul to stay and to continue to evangelize and to organize a church. He did not seem to see any, any prospect for that at all. And so he left Athens with, with very little to show for his labor there, simply committing it to the Lord and moving on, which is interesting because we generally think of the Apostle Paul as being highly successful everywhere he went. But that is not true. He was highly successful nearly everywhere he went, but there were some places where, in modern language, we might say he struck out. He preached, same apostle, same message, same indwelling Holy Spirit, but not the same results. It's a reminder, isn't it, that our labors are all dependent upon the sovereign purposes of God. And sometimes we labor labor fervently, prayerfully, with great commitment and zeal, and nothing happens. And another time, we labor with no more intensity and zeal and prayer, and great things happen. And oftentimes, we are prone to look inward for that and say, what was wrong with me on the previous occasion when nothing happened? And, oh boy, I really did it right this time, didn't I? No, 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 no. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, 
The Holy Spirit is in charge of these things, and like the wind, which blows where it plans to blow, and we can we can we can see the results of the wind blowing, but we don't know where it came from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. God is sovereign in these things, and we we can't predict them. We can't guarantee them. We can't manufacture them. We must simply be faithful and trust God with the results. Well, I pause to welcome you to this Monday, January 30 edition of the Beacon Broadcast. Thank you for tuning our way, and thank you for helping us with the cost of maintaining this Bible teaching ministry on this station. So, in Athens, Paul saw very little visible fruit. Only God knows what may have happened over the long run with the message that Paul preached there, but nevertheless, he went away with very little to show for his labors and went to Corinth, and there, just the very opposite happened. There, his preaching was attended with divine power, and many were converted out of paganism. And so he stayed there by the direction of Christ and had a very, very fruitful ministry. A church was established after a year and a half, well, over the period of a year and a half labor. When I say a church was established after a year and a half labor, it sounds like he worked for a year and a half before anything happened, but that's not what took place. People were being saved regularly over the course of a year and a half. And during that time, a church was established. But also, during that time, false teachers showed up, as they did in virtually every city where Paul planted New Testament churches. And they questioned Paul's ministry. They tried to undermine it. They questioned his credentials and so forth. And so, Paul had a great investment, we might say, in the church in the city of Corinth. And to that church, he wrote two of the larger New Testament epistles, namely 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and we find reference in studying these epistles that are, that are included in our New Testament, we find reference to a couple of other epistles that are not included. So, he wrote to them probably at least four times. It makes us realize that there are probably lots of letters that Paul wrote that are not in our New Testament, but we have no way of knowing how many. And in a few cases, we have passing references to them, like we do here in the case of Corinth, but I'm rather of the mind that there probably were many epistles written to churches that we know absolutely nothing about. There's no no passing reference to them at all. But Paul writes to the church at Corinth to answer questions which they have sent to him and to address problems which persisted in the church even after Paul dealt with problems over a period of time both through his epistles and in person in showing up and visiting them and and straightening out the problems or at least addressing the problems. But in the second Corinthian epistle, Paul is spending an awful lot of time defending his apostleship, which was under attack by the false teachers, and at the same time strengthening the church because the two go together. The false teachers were weakening the church. Paul goes to strengthen the church. The false teachers were 
undermining Paul's ministry to the extent that they could, and that weakened the church. And so Paul defends his ministry and thereby strengthens the church. And what we come to in chapter 6 are some interesting lists. And in verses 6 and 7, which we're coming to now, we find a list of spiritual graces, we might call them, the spiritual graces that are required to maintain effective Christian service. Let me read them. By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left. And it even goes on from there, verse 8, by honor and dishonor and so forth. And that list that I just read, I'm, I jumped right in the middle of a list that we've already studied because we've, and let me go back to that again, Paul says, in all things, verse 4, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in, and here's a list, much patience and tribulation and needs and distress and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and fastings, and then into the list that I read a moment ago, by purity, by knowledge, and so forth. Very interesting, this section. And it contains very, very helpful information that is given to us in in a list form. I don't know about you, but I, I rather like lists. I make lists. They're very helpful. I, I would imagine that during the course of a week, I almost always make two or three lists of things that I need to do. And I carry that list with me, and I cross things off as I as I accomplish what needs to be done. And when I have finished what is done on one list, I throw that one away, but it's only a day or two later when I realize other things need to be done, and I start making another list. And one reason I do that is because I have learned that if I don't, I forget. I'm, I'm sorry. I <laughs> Maybe you don't forget, so maybe you don't need lists, but I do. I forget. I can forget very quickly. I am sometimes amazed when I think of something, oh, I need to make sure I do that, and 10 or 15 minutes later, I'm thinking now, and something else comes along, and I say, well, I've got to start a list, and I'll write down this thing that came to mind right now, and what was that thing I was thinking about just 10 or 15 minutes ago? Sometimes it will come back to me as I search my mind for it, and sometimes it won't. I better write things down immediately, because if I don't, sometimes they, they're gone. I'm That's probably just me. You probably don't have that kind of, of situation. But all that to say that lists are very useful, and Paul has a whole series of them here. And this list that we're looking at now in verses 6 and 7, we, we can call spiritual graces. And it starts with the need for spiritual graces in the verses that we've already covered. And I'm not going to go back over that again. But in verses 1 and 2, Paul talks about gospel effectiveness, and we need spiritual graces to enhance gospel effectiveness. He talks in verse 3 about Christian obstacles, and he says in by giving us this list that we need spiritual graces to prevent Christian detriment, to avoid unnecessary offense, to make sure that our Adamic frailty, our, our fleshly nature that hasn't yet been eradicated and won't be until we get to heaven, 
doesn't become a great obstacle to the work we're doing. We need Christian graces to prevent Christian detriment. We need, in verses 4 and 5, Christian graces to overcome our trials. And that's the first of three lists that we find back-to-back throughout these several verses. And that's the one that I've already covered in verses 4 and 5. But we need spiritual graces in order to enable persevering faith and to overcome the many trials that we are going to face if we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we come then to this list of, of, of attributes that are needed, the manifestation of spiritual graces, which is the second of the three lists that are found here, or we might call them spiritual enablements, and it's a very useful list. <laughs> Paul has made a list, and let's take a look at the list, and what's the first one? Purity, right? As we come back to verse 6, by purity. Purity, purity of life, free from immorality in every form, purity of motive, singleness of motive and integrity, how important that is if we're going to be faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great problems we have in our society today is the the multiplication of Immorality on every side. Proliferation is the word I was trying to say. It's on every side. It just, you don't have to go looking for it. It tackles you. You have to be on guard against it. You have to resist it. You have to fight it. But you must fight it. If we don't fight it, we're going to get mired down in this immorality, and it's going to derail us from being effective servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to develop purity of life. And we've got to develop purity of motive. That is singleness of motive. Our our purpose for living is to serve Christ. Nothing else. That's it. That's our purpose for living. Everything else is just uh, an adornment, you might say, of that. Well, we'll have to lay it aside and take it up, Lord willing, in the broadcast tomorrow. So join me then. Until then, good day. May God give you his eternal peace.